It's okay. I'm glad you're here. Um, we have a bunch to talk about today, and uh, and um, well, let's just jump in. So we're in a we're in a new month, uh, the month of Shvat, which is um, which is the location of uh, of, of Tubishvat, which is the new year for trees. But it also represents, spiritually speaking, in in terms of the the calendar, uh, a, a turning point in the year. Um, the month of Shvat is uh, the month of Shvat is when the when the when the sap in the tree uh, begins to rise again, and the Rebbe's all comment on this um, that basically if if you think of um, a tree during winter time, especially uh, you know if you're from places that really have a winter like snow and everything like that, you know that it's it's desolate. You have there, there are no leaves, and it's, it looks completely barren. The tree actually looks dead. And then there's this m- miracle of uh, rebirth that happens. And, and that, that happens on the inside. It starts on the inside, and then it manifests itself on the outside. The sap begins to rise in the tree. And that, that happens um, in this month, in the month of Shvat. Um, and so, even though something looks... Dead on the outside, there's life on the inside. And, of course, this is talking about all of us. Because the Torah compares us to a tree, human beings to a tree. And so, so the reality is, is that where there's life, there's hope. No matter how you look or how you feel, nonetheless, there's something going on on the inside. You know, I... Uh, I'm reminded of the, the, the blessing that we say when we leave the bathroom. Uh, one of the great things about Torah is that we, we recognize that every aspect of our lives, every aspect of creation is, is saturated with godliness, and therefore there's no such thing as a secular moment. It doesn't exist, because if you, if you dwell amidst God, then everything is holy. And it's a question of how do you access that holiness? How do you raise up those sparks in every situation? So one of the first things that people sometimes disconnect with when they start to go further in their Torah studies is the amount of Torah law. And they don't understand why, why seemingly the, the rabbis or God himself is, 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 is weighing in on all of these aspects of life which seem so mundane. And the whole point is, is that none of life is mundane. None of it is mundane. All of it has the potential to be lifted up and to be sanctified. Therefore, there's, there are ways to, to empower every single moment spiritually, or to reveal the godliness in every single moment. And that includes putting on your shoes and socks. You know, if, if, you, if you're not familiar that, that there's a Torah way to do this, you should know. You put your right sock, and then your left sock, your right shoe, and then your left shoe. Then you tie your left shoe and you tie your right shoe. By the time it gets reversed. So, so nothing, especially something as really quite remarkable as going to the bathroom even, is without its moment of recognition that, that God is awesome. So, so the prayer that we say at the end is, which is basically talking about the, the, the wondrousness that God runs the world with, and in our bodies itself. And, and the Ramah points out that what is... What is so wondrous? He says, what's so wondrous is the fact that we have this soul in our body, and we have like our mouth, we have this opening, or our ears, or our nose, and there are all these opportunities for the soul to fly out of the body. And it doesn't. What can this be compared to, just so you can have a, a more sort of like maybe... Uh, uh, powerful vu- visualization for this is that if you were to blow up a balloon and not tie the end of the balloon and then just leave it there and imagine the wind doesn't escape from the balloon it just stays a blowed up balloon that's an amazing thing how is it possible that the soul stays in the body that it doesn't fly out of the body that this equilibrium exists it's wondrous it's wondrous so so miracles are going on constantly. And, and everyone asks, 
And I think, uh, I think understandably so, because it is a real question. How is it possible? Where do we see, especially now, we're, we're, we're in the Parshiot, in the Torah, we're talking about all the miracles that happened in, in Egypt. All the things that Hashem did, and, and, you know, like splitting the sea and bringing hail, but it wasn't normal hail, it was, it was ice that was simultaneously on fire. So the, 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 the water should put out the fire, the fire should melt the ice. How could you have fire and water fused together at the same time coming down? How could this be? It was amazing. By the way, you know something? Um, I, I, I can't give you the, the exact, exact uh, details, but, but what I'm telling you is, is accurate. You can look it up on your own. Which is, if you look in the Parsha, when Moshe, or Hashem, stops the plague of hail, it says that the hail stopped mid-sky. It basically, it, it just stopped on a dime. Any hail that was in the air at that point just stopped, basically. And then later on, in one of the battles in Tanakh, it talks about that hail falling again. In other words, the hail that was left over from that plague came down and then finished off that army. And I, I can't, off the top of my head, give you the exact uh, reference place to look, but that, I always thought that was kind of cool, that that hail was used. You know what I mean? It wasn't just left over, you know? So, so anyway, where are, people asked, where are the miracles today? Where are the open miracles today? And uh, on the one hand, it's a good question and it's a normal question. It's a natural question. On the other hand, I, I really don't like that question at all. <laughs> because that question, so, you know, and again, not, not, not in a bad way. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an honest question, deserves an answer. We're going to give an, a, a, something from the Ram, Ramban in a second. But... Um, but it suggests that what isn't going on every single moment isn't an awesome miracle. That, that's why the question itself shows, on, on some level, a lack of sensitivity. But at the same time, it's an excellent question. If God can do anything, and is involved in our lives, and all of the rest, well, why isn't He demonstrating the, this, these miraculous gestures like, like He did before? Now, I'm going to give you the answer... Um, as I understand it from the Ramban. Um, but first, I want, to, um, I want to tell you a story from my own life to, to just sort of uh, introduce his answer. And um, many years ago, uh, uh, we had uh, some, some friends in, in, uh, in New York City uh, who, who heard that we were taking a trip into the city and they, 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 they offered to put us up in their, in their place. They were there at the time as well. And, um, you know, thank God they, they do very well and the, the, the apartment was really nice. Beautiful neighborhood and really nice apartment. And they gave us a key and they said, come and go as you like. It's just, it's your place, you know. So it was really, really nice. So, you know, it was, like I say, it was centrally located and we had the key and everything else. And uh, Shabbos came around, and they, uh, they had a lot of people for Shabbos, and they had a, a long Shabbos table, and it was filled with silver, like it was really beautiful, and flowers, and china, and just the gorgeous table. And, uh, and the, the, the person whose uh, home it was sat at the head of the table, but he was quiet, and really didn't say much. And I was uh, in a talkative mood, uh, and uh, was joking around and telling stories and divrator and everything like that and people were engaged and laughing and, and it was all very nice it was a beautiful, beautiful meal really and at the end of the meal uh, I walked with the guests to the door and I thanked them for coming <laughs> and the host was right there and I caught myself after I had done this and I thought to myself what a chutzpah what a chutzpah it's not my home. It's not my home. And I'm acting like I'm the host. And all of a sudden it hit me, like in the deepest way, what about us in this world, you know? Here we are guests in this world and we're acting like the host. Like it belongs to us, like it's ours. 
were guests. The Ramban says, you know what? Hashem did the, the miracles. He doesn't have to do them in every single generation. He doesn't have to prove to you in every single generation that he's God. He did them already. He did them. Now, again, we said he's never stopped doing them. But you want those huge, like, splitting of the Red Sea things? He did it. He did it. He doesn't have to prove to you that he's God. You know, I saw in some of the writings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov that he said that there's a it's, a, it's a, it's a meritorious practice that after you finish davening, that you walk outside and that you look up at the sky and that that increases wisdom. And I, my understanding of what this practice means is that, you see, there's a pasuk, a verse from the Psalms in Tehillim. I'm not quoting it exactly, but this is the idea. Is, is, it says that Hashem's word stands in the heavens. And basically what this means is that when Hashem, on the second day of creation, told the sky to be the sky, right? When He separated the upper waters from the lower waters, and He said that this, you're going to be the sky. At that moment, the sky became the sky. And it's been trembling in place, like, from the Word of God, for thousands or millions or billions of years. Hashem spoke it once, and the sky is frozen in place, trembling in place, adhering to the command of God. When we walk out, and we look up at the sky, and we realize that the sky is in active avoda, it's in active service of God by staying the sky as it was commanded, Billions of years ago. And Hashem only had to say it once. Right? That increases wisdom. That increases wisdom. How much more so for us? So, so Parsha's bow, Parsha's bow begins with the letter Bez, and then it goes to the letter Aleph. That's how you spell Bo. It's the name of the Parsha. Bez Aleph. Now this is remarkable, because everybody knows the alphabet goes Aleph Bez. So what's this Bez Aleph? It's, it's seemingly backwards, or it's certainly in reverse order, or maybe it's some, saying something like far deeper than that. So what's going on? All these plagues are being revealed. The Jews are being taken out of Egypt. And we go from the letter Bez to the letter Aleph, Bo. So, so I'd like to offer the, the following explanation. You see, and it's a little bit based on what we were saying um, last week. Um, we were talking about, I, I called the talk, A Brief History of Light. And it was tracking, it was tracking light, basically, from before the world was created. One of the names of Hashem before the world was created is the Ora in Sof, light without end. And then we know Hashem shines a ray of light into this vacated space that's called the Kav. So Hashem shines His light into creation. That light sort of thickens and materializes and becomes materiality, becomes a physical universe. <coughs> but it's an awesome light, and God sees that this light isn't really worthy for those who aren't righteous to bask in. So God hides away this light. Now, the word to Esha'or, the light, the B'nai Esaskar points out Esha'or is Gematria 613. God puts that light, where does He hide it? In the 613 Esha'or. He puts it into the Torah itself. Then we have the birth of Moshe. Moshe, it says, when he's born, his, descri- his parents describe him as good. But the rabbis point out that every parent thinks their baby is good. Come on. So it's got to be saying something much more than that. 
So they say, yeah, this, this phrase that the Torah uses, Kitov, is a reference to the first Kitov, when God is describing the first heavenly light. So that, that light, because it says that in the Gomorrah, in Gomorrah Sota, that the room was lit up when Moshe was born, that that light was the original light of creation. That Kitov matches the Kitov from the beginning of the Torah. So that light is the original light. So here you see this phrase, Torah Moshe. We call the Torah Torah Moshe. That Torah is where the Or Haganus, that original light, went in. Es HaOr 613. And Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe also is a repository of that original light as well. Kitov. Then we have this Pasuk from Yeshaya, chapter 30, verse 26. It's talking about the end of days. And the light of the moon shall be like the light of the sun. And the light of the sun shall be sevenfold. That means seven times seven, forty-nine. Shall be forty-nine times as the light of the seven days. So that's three hundred and forty-three. So the rabbis bring down that the light at the end of days is going to be three hundred and forty-three times the initial light of creation. Which means that we're not just trying to restore the light. We're not just, the whole mission of human civilization, of our lives in this world, is not just to get things back to the way they had been, but it's going to radically, dramatically improve creation. And how do we do that? Through Torah Moshe, through the mitzvahs themselves. We're improving creation. Now, I want to bring a point, because you see that at the end, the end... The light is 7 times 7 times 7, what it had been originally. 7 times 7 times 7. I was talking with someone and he said, well, wait a second. If that's really talking about the, the, the messianic light, where's the number 8? So, so, the first thing that you have to understand is, um, and you have to know this in terms of your, your, your growth in terms of um, Torah analytics, there are many different systems um, in place in terms of understanding the Torah. And sometimes one paradigm is, is the one that will unlock what the, what the Torah is talking about. And sometimes another paradigm is the one that unlocks it. Okay, so, so it's very, it's very um, widely known that 8 stands for Lamala Minateva, which means above nature, which is how we tend to think about the Messianic period. And so it would make sense that if we're talking about this awesome, awesome rays of light at the end of creation, that there would be an eight there, not a seven times seven times seven. So it's a very understandable question. First of all, you have to understand one thing, which is that the Messianic period is also referred to as Yom Shakula Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. Shabbos, everybody knows, is seven. So in other words, the fullness of creation the fullness of creation also correlates with the number seven, if you understand it to, to, to correlate with Shabbos. Okay, but I think that there's a much stronger point, and it's the one that I've been wanting to make, but I, I just had to introduce it. You see, I think God is telling us something very, very strong and very beautiful. By making, it on the, by making the end, the, the Zmanatikum, the, the, the ultimate flowering of creation, on the level of sevens, I think what Hashem is telling us is that He initially implanted perfection into the world. That's part of creation. It doesn't, we don't have to transcend creation like the number eight. We don't have to go above creation in order to access this level of perfection. It was implanted within creation from the very, very beginning. That's this notion of seven times seven times seven. In other words, it's the full blossoming of that which was implanted within the normal order of creation at the very, very beginning. Now, the reason why I think that that, for me, is a very empowering thought is because it shows us that we have the tools by observing the mitzvot of the Torah, by being, by, by being loving with each other, by, by, by cleaving to God, that, that implanted, we have the tools here in order to see the full flourishing of creation itself. Because that perfection was already implanted within creation at the very, very beginning. So, 
So let's go forward. So we still have our question. This idea of Bez Olive Bo, that it's in reverse order. So, so what is our mission in this world? Again, it's not to go back to the Garden of Eden. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden. What we're doing is we're arriving at something that's going to be even more incredible. Right? So that's base olive. In other words, the base is the base of Reshit. But we're not going back to the olive of creation. We're not going backwards in time. We're going further. We're going forward toward Eden, if you will. We're going forward toward this olive. And everybody knows that Aleph represents Hashem. And Aleph also represents the Torah. Because Aleph is the first letter of the Aserah Sedibros. It's the first letter that was spoken at Har Sinai. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Anochi begins with the letter Aleph. The first utterance of God to humanity as a whole, as a mass, began with the letter Aleph. Not only that, but I heard from Reb Shlomo, and he said in the name of the the deepest, you see, you see, there are all these different uh, wonderful paradigms in terms of what Hashem spoke at Har Sinai. One, one is, and this is in the Gemara, is that Hashem spoke the first two commandments at Mount Sinai. Okay, and then with that in mind, you see something beautiful. I heard in the name of the Ger Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu's name, Moshe is Gematria three, four, five, three hundred forty-five. But Hashem spoke the first two commandments at Har Sinai. So one, two, and then Moshe kicked in. Three, four, five. Right? So that's, that's a, a, a beautiful thought there. And so um, the gematria of the word Torah is 611. And the rabbis learn out from that that since the gematria of the word Torah is 611 and Hashem spoke the first two mitzvot, then that's how we know. This is the Gemara I'm telling you. That's how we know that there's 613 commandments. That's how they derive it. Now, see, that's significant, because if you look at the different counts, because different rabbis give you different counts of what the mitzvahs are, some of them disagree. Like a very famous disagreement is between the Ramban and the Rambam as to whether or not there's actually a chiv, a mitzvah, to live in Eretz Yisrael. Or whether it's just, if you live there, you get a mitzvah, but you're not commanded to live there. That's a big debate. So, so the Ramban, with an M, Maimonides says, we're, 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 we're commanded to live there. Or we're not commanded to live there, rather. And the Ramban says, we are commanded to live there. Now, you've got different counts among the rabbis. What's a mitzvah and what's not a mitzvah? But all of them have the same marching orders. Whatever they decide is a mitzvah and whatever they understand not to be a mitzvah, it's got to add up to 613. So you, you have to know what's, uh, what is, what's leading the, 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 the conceptualization. Okay? So, so anyway. Now another way that they understand the way the Hashem spoke at Har Sinai. So one is that God spoke the first two commandments. That's, that's the Gemara. Right? And it makes sense because the first commandment is a positive command to believe in God. And the second commandment is a negative commandment not to believe in other powers. And by the way, that, that's, that's really important that everyone understands the, the difference between those two things. I know this was a very, very big turning point in my own spirituality, and Rabbi Nachman speaks this out very, very clearly. It sounds like it's the same commandment. Believe in one God, and the next commandment is don't believe in other powers. Isn't that the exact same commandment? And so the amazing thing is, is that, you know, when you look into your own hearts and, and the way we really go through the day, they're very, very, very different. A lot of people believe in God while believing in other powers. They believe in their boss and they believe in the president and they believe in this ruler of this country and they believe in, you know, the sway that this person has over them and all the rest and all the rest. So there is no contradiction whatsoever between believing in one God and believing in other powers. So there's separate commandments. You believe in one God, you don't believe in other powers. Two, and in fact, I would say that the second of those is actually the harder mitzvah to keep. It's actually the harder mitzvah to keep. And if you want to make real spiritual leaps and bounds in your life, you'll do it more actually with that second one. 
at least uh, in the initial stages, than even in the first one. Right? So, anyway. But, um, but there you see, by saying, remember, the, all the Torahs is divided up into, those 613 are divided up into 365 <coughs> prohibitions and 248 positives. Right? That adds up to three, 613. So, in other words, God spoke the first two commandments, the first one being a microcosm of all the positive commandments, and the second one being a microcosm of all the negative commandments. Okay, so there's a very strong logic to, to hearing that. Okay, but let's, let's go further. So I heard from Reb Shlomo that there are those who say, ah, but you know what? You know what really Hashem spoke at Harsinai? Just the word Anochi. That's it. He just said, I. Right? And the Ishvitzer says that if you look at the word Anochi, it's, you know, in, in Hebrew, the, the letter Chav, it looks like the, the, in English, the, the, the letter C, right? It's a prefix in Hebrew which means like. So, anochi, the, the letters can be rearranged to read ka'ani, like me. So, in other words, the most awesome, the most awesome revelation of godliness in, 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 in all of history, right? The mountain was on fire to the heavens. Heaven comes down to earth. Like in the desert, the, the mountain springs forth. It's covered with flowers. There's a chauffeur blast that's heard around the world. People's souls are flying out of their bodies. There's smoke and thunder and lightning. God says, you know what, that's just like me. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, don't think that's me. That's just that's a little taste. A little taste of me, you know. So, so, so God just said, Anochi. That's another opinion. But then, Reb Shlomo brings, he says, the deepest Kabbalist said, God just pronounced the letter Aleph. Now that's really strong because Aleph is silent. So how do you pronounce a silent letter? Right? So God just pronounced the letter Aleph and that's, that's what it all was. It was all contained within that. So now let's go into the letter Aleph. Okay? So remember, let's uh, refresh ourselves with what the question is exactly. What is this idea of Parsha's bow? Bays and then Aleph. We're beginning with the letter Bez, and then we're going to Aleph. So, remember, when we left Egypt, we didn't, God didn't just take us out of Egypt. You know, we talk about, you know, in English anyway, it's very appropriate that this is English, because it's sort of, um, it, it is, it's sort of packed with the whole ideology of, of Western civilization, is, is we say, let my people go. And that's it. We just quote that part. Let my people go. <laughs> and that's just part of the thought. The rest of that thought is so that they can serve me in the desert. So that they can serve God. In other words, so that they can receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. We were taken out of Egypt in order to get the Torah at Mount Sinai. And that is a very, very, very important thing. Because if we're just taken out of Egypt and you know if you look at the if you look at the the sense of purposelessness and 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 meaninglessness that uh, plagues uh, contemporary life you see what it is to be free without a sense of purpose and what it does to us and basically what it does is it makes us slaves to our own desires and this is, this is really unfortunate, and people don't understand this. You know, to quote Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. We are, we are made that way, but we're made to serve God in truth and in purity. We're made to serve God. And if we don't, we're going to serve someone else. You know, one of, I think, the most important Midrashim is that when Adam HaRishon, when the first person named, God instructed him to name all of the animals and, and, and creation and things like that. And, by the way, because this was before we ate from the tree of knowledge, creation itself was so clear and, 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 and perfect that, that what Adam did was he read the letters, since God created the world with the letters of the Torah, with the Hebrew alphabet, 
he read the energies of the letters in each of the creations, and that's how he named things. So he saw in the tree the, the iron energy and the tzadi energy, and he read it. He said, it's eights. That's how, that's how he named everything. And at the end of all of this, Hashem said to Adam, the Medrash says, this is not including the Chumash, the Medrash says, and what's my name? God says, what's my name? Right? What a question, right? And Adam says, Adoni, my master. So you understand that from the very beginning of creation, we understand that we have a master. We understand that there's a host, that there's, a, that there's, someone, that there's someone, someone's house that we're living in. That, that, we're, that we're guests in, right? And that's, that's the natural state. And that that's not um, something that diminishes us. It doesn't diminish us. What, there's a synergistic aspect where we're parts of something massively and awesomely just beyond, 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 beyond. And to assume our place in that thing, you see, imagine... Imagine like uh, you're looking at the, the Mona Lisa, right? And, um, and uh, the Mona Lisa, right? Let's say it's got, some, it's got some green in it, right? And let's say you're that bit of green pigment over there. And you say, I don't want to just be a little bit of green pigment on the Mona Lisa. I want to... I want to do my thing. I want to be seen for who I am. And so you kind of leave your place on the Mona Lisa and you become a big, dark green squiggle across her face. (laughs) It's sort of like, yeah, everyone's going to see you. (laughs) There's no question. You will be seen. Everyone will go, oh yeah. You know what? And you know what they're going to say? I don't know why. I don't know why. No, I don't like that painting. <laughs> so a lot of times we think that our greatness, that our greatness comes from, from somehow being more than what we were created to be. But what we were created to be is like, you know, like our greatness comes from assuming our place. And again, that, you know, I always think, I always think of the example in the Gomorrah. Everything is attributed. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm making up this list of names, but it will say, Rabbi Yochanan says in the name of Rabbi Akiva, who says in the name of, you know, Rabbi Eliezer, I don't know, just for, as an example. So, so, whose teaching is it? It's Rabbi Eliezer's teaching. Because he's at the end of the list. He's the one who, who had the teaching, who was given over through the generations. But when you read it, what's the emotional impact that you have? Rabbi Yochanan, right? You think it's Rabbi Yochanan's teaching. I mean, talking about it on an emotional level. You see, but what, what, what did, why does Rabbi Yochanan get top billing? It wasn't his teaching. But what was he able to do? He was able to successfully transmit this teaching through the generations. You see, so, so there's greatness, there's absolute greatness to everything that we're doing. You know, there's something called a chiddish in Torah. This means a, a new idea in Torah. And I heard Rabbi Green say one time, you know what, in terms of chidushim, if God didn't think of it first, that, that's a problem. Because <laughs> then basically you're just saying something incorrect. <laughs> So what is the ultimate chiddush? I mean, if everything, it's just that it, it flows through you. All right, so maybe, maybe it hasn't, no one's heard it in generations, or maybe no one's heard it since, since it went up in God's mind, Kaviyocho, so to speak, right? The greatness is that it flows through us, and that we're authentic emissaries of reality. Let me just touch on that point for a moment. You know, I heard a, gener- a, a, a definition of genius, which I really, really liked, which is that, that a genius describes things as they actually are. And, and the reason why I, I really like that is because if you think of 
Einstein, for instance, well, he's clearly a genius. And while I don't know what this means, I, I've seen it written that he basically was the one who was able to describe uh, space as the universe as a curved structure. I don't, I don't know what that means exactly, but let's just go with it for a moment. So he didn't invent the idea. He saw reality as it is. That's his genius, to see reality as, as it actually is. So, not to make up something. So, with that in mind, when Chana is, is davening, you have to look at her prayer. She wants a baby so badly. And she's davening to Hashem. And if you look in the Gomorrah, it goes through all the different ways that she davened. And it becomes the model of prayer to this day. If you want to learn how to pray, you study the prayer of Chana. And she's very, very specific in what she prays for. She says... Um, I don't want him to be, you know, to this, and I don't want him to be to that. And I don't want him to be to this, and I don't want him to be to that. Essentially, what she's davening for is a normal person, right? And that's, you know, to use modern words, kind of what she's davening for. I want God bring me someone normal. And who does God give her? Shmuel. Shmuel, who's compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. One of the greatest, the one who anoints King David, king, right? Shmuel plays this huge role in Jewish history. So, is he normal? And the answer is, according to what we're saying, yes, he's normal, because he sees reality as it actually is. That's normal. So that's what we're striving toward. That's what we're striving toward. And a lot of us, it's sort of like, you know, if we're just, wow, if I could just be more kind of aware of godliness in this world, if I could be more attached, if I could, then I would just I'll climb and climb and climb and climb. Maybe I could get to the point where I actually have learned through the Talmud and I've learned through the, the Shulchan Aruch and I've learned through, you know, all the sources and, and I'm actually aware of God. At that point, what will I be? Normal. <laughs> You'll be normal. <laughs> because you'll be aware of what's actually there. That's, that's what we want. That's what we want. So, so, Bez Aleph. So, we're not going backwards. We're going forward, but we're going toward the Aleph. Now, the Aleph, everyone knows, stands for Hashem on a lot of levels, but just the two kind of uh, quickest levels is that Aleph is Gematria 1 and God is 1. So that's very straightforward. And Aleph is also composed of three letters. If you look at the way it's written, there's an upper Yud, a lower Yud, and then a Vav that goes diagonally in between. So that's three letters. And those letters add up to 26. Yud is 10, so 10 plus 10, and Vav is 6. 10 plus 10 plus 6 is 26, which is the numerical equivalent of God's holiest name, Yud in He and Vav in He, what we call the Yud Ke Vav Ke, right? which is an expression of God's uh, infinity. So there you see the letter Aleph. It stands for the oneness of God, God's holiest name. So that's, Aleph stands for God. But we also saw that the letter Aleph, simultaneously, stands for the Torah. Because when God gave us the Torah, he pronounced the the letter Aleph. And the deepest sources correlate Hashem with the Torah. Because they say God and the Torah are one. What does that mean? That God is a scroll? No, that's not what that means. The the Torah is the will of God. It's the will of God. And so since the will of God has been expressed, that is that is the person. Because well, it's God's not a person, but but one's will is on some level synonymous with what your essence is. You know, what you want, what your desires are, what you strive for, is who you are. That's a measure of who you are. So, so there's this very amazing correlation between Aleph, which is the oneness of God, God himself, if you will. But again, not to put any imagery on God, because he has no imagery. And Aleph being the Torah itself, because that's the will of God. So now let's look at Bez Aleph, Bo, what's going on? 
So Bez is the first letter of the Torah, the Bez of Breshid. Bez represents this world, creation. It also represents all the duality of this world, the physical and the spiritual, right? Good and evil. All of these things are expressed in the letter Bez. All the confusion, right? So the Bez of Breshid, God tells us, take the Bez of Breshid, take all the multiplicity of this world, take the creation itself and bring it up to the letter Aleph, Bo. And that will be the perfection of the world. Through the Torah, through attaching ourselves to the oneness of God. Now, I want to go further into the Aleph itself. You see, because the Aleph, again, imagine it's the upper Yud, it's the lower Yud, and then there's this diagonal Vav kind of going through the middle of it. Now, you have to understand something, which is that human beings are all Vavs. We're all Vavs. And if you write a Vav, it's a straight line. And if you see, if you stand up, you'll see all of us are a straight line. All of us are the letter Vav. Man, woman, all of us. We're all the letter Vav. But what letter Vav are we? So we're the letter Vav in the yud Vavke. vav ke. How do you figure? Because remember, whenever you picture that name of Hashem, I, I always think it's always very helpful to think of it starting from the top. The Yud is at the top because that's sort of like the, the light of Hashem, the highest emanations of Hashem. And then you've got the hay underneath, which is the next world, that's Olam Abba. Then you've got the Vav, and then you've got the bottom hay. So everyone says the bottom hay stands for this world. That's Malchus. That stands for this world. And the upper Yud in hay stands for the upper reaches of the spiritual, of the spiritual realms. And what's connecting them, what's connecting the lower hay, this world, with the upper spiritual realms? The letter Vav, that's human beings. In other words, our job as human beings are to unite heaven and earth. This is what we do, we unite heaven and earth. When we do the mitzvot, we're bringing heaven closer to earth. And we're bringing earth up to heaven. This is, this is, this is what we're doing. It's also significant that the Rebbe, in Hasidic circles, the Rebbe always gets the sixth aliyah, number six, that's the letter Vav, because he's the one who's really the preeminent uniter of heaven and earth. So, so you've got the yud Vav Vavke. So Vav also stands for free choice. I heard from Reb Shlomo, I think he said in the name of the Zohar, that Vav stands for free choice. So there's a very interesting correlation, just like we said that there's this overlap with the letter Aleph, that Aleph stands for the oneness of God, but it also stands for the Torah itself, and so you've got them simultaneously together, and we've got this great teaching that the Torah and Hashem are one, right? See that in the letter Aleph. In terms of the letter Vav, you also see this awesome overlap, because human beings are a Vav, and Vav is the letter of free choice. Because that's how we're created in the image of God. That's what it means that we're created in the image of God. That we have free choice. There, there are other explanations also. But because we have free choice. So we are the connectors. Right? Vav is also a connection. But Vav stands for a human being. And it also stands for free choice. And they overlap. Because that's the essence of who we are. By the way... If you really want to see that in a deeper way, I heard this from Rabbi Green and I said it over at my father's, uh, as part of my father's eulogy. <coughs> Rabbi Green asked, what, what, who are you? Right? Who are you? And he says, you're not your, your body because after 120 we leave our body behind. And you're not your soul because your soul is a piece of God. So if you're not your body and you're not your soul, what are you? Right? And he says, we are the culmination, the, the amalgam of the decisions that we make. That's who we are. That's who we are. So there you see 
the overlap of us, vav and free choice and being a human being, why there's such a strong overlap? Because we are what we choose with our free choice. That is what will ultimately define us, what's defining us right now. What decisions we make when faced with the base of Breshis, when faced with creation and our time in our body in this world, what are we making out of that? What are we doing with that? That is what defines us. So now, now, let's go further. So I want to just talk about how all these come together within the letter Aleph itself. So, so if you look at the upper Yud, and this is in the context of the Aleph being the Torah that I'm about to say, because Hashem spoke the entire Torah by pronouncing the letter Aleph, which is the will of God. So if you look at creation, and we know that creation itself, God looked into the Torah and made creation. So that means that the letter Aleph, if it's an expression of the Torah, the letter Aleph also has to be a blueprint of the physical universe as well. So with that in mind, the upper Yud stands for all of the galaxies and all of the planets. The, the, top, the top of the physical universe. Okay? Billions and trillions of universes and stars and planets. And you have to understand something. They all exert, everyone knows this, they all exert tremendous gravitational force. So if one of them kind of got thrown out of whack, it would create a... Uh, like a, 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 a domino effect where it would throw one universe into another universe and then that would pull another set of universes, do you understand, galaxies, planets, because, because the, and the black holes and all the rest, I mean, it's a, what, what I'm trying to convey is that the, the gravitational force is so awesome and yet somehow these trillions of things who are all moving in place somehow go so precisely and so exactly that this incredible, delicate choreography, no one is making a misstep. Because one misstep, the whole thing goes like wacko, right? So just try to imagine like this incredible dance that's going on in the heavens, right? Then you go down further. And on the level of the birds, right? Like I always think of the birds of San Juan Capistrano. You can stand in a certain place on a certain day and all the birds come that day. They're all following the same path, right? I was once walking in my neighborhood one day and I walked like several blocks away and I was amazed by this, which was that one person had in their yard a certain type of flower, which I hadn't seen, which was blooming, and then I walked several blocks away to another person's, past another person's yard, and they had the same flower, and it was also exactly in the same state of bloom. Right? That they weren't texting each other. <laughs> what are you going to wear today, right? <laughs> I think I'll be in full bloom today. All right. You know, so, me too. You know, so, I mean, again, I'm talking about the precision of nature as it trickles down. If you go down to fish, all the fishermen know, like in Alaska, the salmon in the same place, they go to the same place and there they are. Like you can set your watch to it. And then let's talk about now the lower yud. So this is like the upper yud. Now we're going into the water, we're getting into the lower yud. And now even further down, subatomic particles. So precise. So precise. You know, the distance between an electron, which is something that orbits the outer shell of the nucleus of an atom, and the atom, is something like, I mean, I heard this once, it's something like the distance between, relative to their size and everything like that, Chicago and New York. I mean, given its size, I mean, that's incredible, right? Because that's an atom. So do you know how small those things are? And yet, they follow the exact, most precise orbits. 
Okay, so now we have the upper Yud and the lower Yud, and what do we have in between? People in free choice. That's the Vav. Human beings in free choice. So the question is, do you think for a moment that we don't also have a path? Do you think for a moment that we don't also have a path that's not incredibly precise? Do you know, do you know what, what Reb Shlomo calls the mitzvot? That, that, that's, that's the description of our path. You know what halacha means? Halacha, it's translated as Jewish law, which is unfortunate. Halacha means the way. It means the way. It's a total, like, Zen-type thing. But this is Torah. It means the way. That's what a person is supposed to travel down. The way, the path. That's our path. And Reb Shlomo calls the mitzvot divine pathways. These are our pathways. We also have a very, very precise way of walking through life, of going through life. But you know what the difference is? Because we're vavs and we're human beings and that stands for free choice, we have the ability to deny it. We have the ability to deny that we have a path. So, so I mentioned, I mentioned that this is, we're in the month of Shvat now. I mentioned that this is when the sap goes up in the tree. And when you begin to see that the life that's inside of us is starting to manifest itself. And soon, not long from now, there's going to be fruit on the tree again. The fruit is, is our deeds in this world. Once the life starts stirring inside of you, once you become in touch with who you are and the fact that we have this awesome opportunity, that's just a blink of an eye, really. The question is, what kind of fruit are we going to produce? You know, I, I worked in this place one time and I, 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 I was really charmed by the fact that some of the people had this shorthand, which is, which is, uh, one, one person would walk into the room with an orange, and another person would say, is it a good orange? Right? Because everyone knows there are good oranges and better oranges. <laughs> right? Have you ever had an orange and it's like a really disappointing orange? It's dry, right? It's not really sweet, and you're like, ah. Because it looks so orange on the outside. And then, you know, have you ever had a, an orange where you like, it's so juicy and it's sweet and it just explodes in your mouth, right? You're like, ah, yeah. So, the question is, what kind of fruit are we going to make? Right? Because that's our deeds. You know, from the outside, they might look like oranges. But we know what they are. We know what they are. We know how open our heart is. We know how open our heart is, how much we're trying, how much we're growing. And Hashem should bless us that we should really be able to see not just the return of the original light, but we should see how much awesome the light has become.